Hello and welcome to NSTA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and so pleased to be joined by Corey Muirhead, Executive Vice President at the Logan Bus. And Corey's been with us a few times on NSTA, the bus stop, but I'm always happy to welcome him back. So Corey, thanks for taking a few minutes to join us today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me once again, Kurt. Uh, No problem. Now, you know, in the run-up to our annual meeting and convention, you know, what we like to do is highlight some of the programs to get folks interested in these topics. So, you know, when we get to Niagara Falls this year, you know, folks can hit the ground running in terms of knowing what, you know, what topics we're going to tackle. And a big one is, you know, the electric electrification of school bus fleets. We have you on a program, The Future is Now Preparing for the transition to electric school bus fleets that's on Tuesday, July 26th at 9.05 a.m. So Corey's one of the panelists on, you know, that session. And what I'd like to do is just have you give the listeners a brief introduction as to where, you know, Logan Bus, you know, operates and, and how long you've been doing it. Yeah, sure. So no problem. First, very excited for the AMC. Really happy and excited that it's in my home state of New York, up in Niagara Falls. Glad to see everybody together. You know, I haven't seen people since COVID. I know it's still crazy. We're talking about this. I think we did our first podcast together two years ago. So, and we uh, we haven't seen each other since. So, you know, it's a bittersweet moment for me to get to see all the other people around the nation other school bus owners that 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 I used to see quite frequently. So once again, just really excited for the AMC being in New York and uh, hope to have a good showing from the New York contingency. So getting into the electric school buses, yeah, I'm running, you know, I have five of them. You know, they're repowers as we discussed in the past. We're excited. You know, we're still learning. They're still going. They're growing great. The sentiments behind them, behind the people, are, everyone is excited. What we really like, is we painted the rub rails green. That's kind of like our, our Logan, you know, we, we couldn't trademark it, but you know what I mean? It's our signature on the road. So you see the, the lime green Logan school buses with the, with the green rub rails and uh, kids get excited and teachers get excited and parents get excited. I mean, I can't tell you how many pictures I've gotten for people just taking snapshots on the road, looking at them. They're so quiet too. Uh, people love to make mention of that. And, you know, that's the aesthetic part of it. But as far as the operational part of it, you know, it's been going pretty well. You know, we're learning about the, the, the battery life. We're learning about the range. We're learning about, you know, we had some range anxiety as we've had in the past and as, as many people have spoken about. But, you know, we're really getting into the data analysis of what it takes, you know, to charge, how frequently we need to charge it what the percentage per kilowatt hour convertible to miles would technically be when it does the AM and the PM route. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make it as simple as possible for us so that we can adopt at a, at a, at a larger scale. And it's been exciting. And trust me, it, you know, it hasn't been all peaches. It, it's definitely been challenging and, and understanding the data set that's given to us. You know, thank God that we have the the charge management solution that that's really helped us and the dashboard has helped us, but we're still a very far long away from being able to fully electrify. And, you know, I don't want to make that a controversial topic, but as one of the very early adopters and 
quite frankly, the only operator in New York City that's doing this. Yes, it's great and, and it's exciting, but it comes with its challenges. And I have no problem being that guinea pig. I'm very excited to be that guinea pig, but uh, there are definitely room, definitely multiple rooms for improvement from the OEMs, from the, from the infrastructure, from, from the contractors. I'll throw myself in there, uh, from the utility companies for sure. And I'm excited that I have the opportunity to speak about that up at the AMC in the session. And I think that we have a good session. I think we have some other good panelists that are going to be on there that could talk about the, uh, the, the pros and cons and the successes and the plights of electrifying. And I think we're going to put together or be able to speak intelligently about the, you know, the robust program it takes to, to electrify and how difficult it is to just do five and what, what significant upscale changes or significant upscale help we're going to need to full scalability. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of great points you make, you know, in that answer, if I were to take you back into in the DeLorean to when you first got involved, you know, with electrification of the school bus fleet, was there any one thing or a couple of considerations you now look at and say, geez, I didn't really account for that or didn't really sense that, but, you know, now having gone through the process, I understand it more. I think infrastructure is often overlooked and it's always the, the, the last the last piece of the puzzle. You know, not only do you have to buy an asset that's three and a half times your cost, besides the repower, whatever, when you lost your five, it's, you know, double your cost or whatever. So you have to, you have to get the bus. And I went to the New York State Venture, uh, New York State Voucher Incentive Program. So I didn't have my infrastructure covered. Um, but you know you have like, 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 you have to you have to really understand that yeah after you buy the vehicle it's not like it could just sit in your yard and it, it goes on the on the fuel line no you have to build chargers you have to decrease your footprint everybody packs their vehicles in like sardines you know land is extremely scarce in New York City so now you have to you know whereas you may you may have been able to use to park ten vehicles now you're parking five with the charging stations and making sure that nothing is going to, you know, harm the charging stations. So you're putting cones, you're doing ropes, whatever it may be, you're lessening your footprint there. So I, I would say that if I had to hop back in the DeLorean and who knows, maybe the DeLorean will be electric, you know, they'll come back. They brought the Bronco back. So maybe they'll bring the DeLorean back. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would definitely say a better understanding. And that's why I, I spoke about, full scalability, like the upscale changes and the help that's needed. Infrastructure is just as important as buying the bus, but it's often forgotten about. And I've seen that for the last two years. And it, it, that, that, that narrative needs to stop. That narrative needs to change. Infrastructure has to be on the forefront of, from many distributors, from many OEM, from any contractor. When you are looking to electrify, you have to figure, I would personally on any project I go moving forward with for electrification, I will I will understand and have a plan for my infrastructure before I go and purchase the electric vehicles. Yeah, and you know what? You're not the first person that I've heard that from. So that that is interesting. Now you also talked about the various, you know, organizations, whether it's governmental, utilities, et cetera, that you had to interface with 
with respect to the electrification effort, maybe you can give you know a, a quick answer in terms of and every I understand every government system is going to be a little bit different, but what are some of the obstacles that a you know private school bus operator like yourself you know faces when you know you go out there now make the commitment to electrify your fleet and then really once you get past that commitment stage the the process is really just starting so the the heavy lifting you know now begins so when you reflect on that you know what are some of those obstacles that people you know have to be on the lookout for yes kurt so that's a great point that you make because it's not just as simple as the traditional give me a PO, I'll sign the PO, and then I get my buses delivered when the distributor has them ready or when the OEM has them ready for me. In fact, it's the opposite. It's quite a cumbersome process. So for me, you know, at first I, I speak with the electric vehicle manufacturer, I have to sign an LOI, and then I have to go to, in New York, it was NYSERDA. And NYSERDA is the government agency, it's the state arm, it's called the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. They had the, the New York Truck Incentive Voucher Program. So that was the program for, for state funding. And when you go there, it is, it is quite an application. And there are certain things that need, you have, there's a, a criteria that you need to meet. And um, that's something that we've learned with CalSTART, that's something that we learned with NYSERDA, that's something that you see with the EPA, and that often gets lost in the shuffle as well. A lot of these grant programs, government grant programs, have, I don't want to call them caveats, but they have strings attached in the sense that you have to be in an opportunity zone. You have to operate in a disenfranchised neighborhood. You have to be a preferred district, things like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that that's not there. So even if you, if you were to want to electrify and you were out of, if you did not meet that criteria, you'd actually be denied for the grant application, which is surprising to me. And it's counterintuitive. That's a little bit of a bigger conversation to have, because if you have a contractor who wishes to go electric, but then they're outside of an opportunity zone, but they have to electrify anyway, and you won't give them, you know, I don't want to go off on a tangent. I find that ridiculous. But in any event, yeah, that happens. It absolutely happens. So, you know, after you go to NYSERDA, you have to figure out what buses you're going to use. And, you know, you, 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 you apply for the grant. There's certain things that you have to do with the buses, you know, whether you have to knock a hole in the engine uh, when they switch over. Um, New York State DOT got involved for us. The utility companies got involved for us. So New York Power Authority, NYPA, and Consolidated Edison, you know, Con Ed got involved. Then the charging company got involved. And it was, it was the Avengers. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. It was, uh, it was, it was quite a team of people. Man, uh, so many, so many stakeholders. And I was surprised and I was impressed with how many people had to, had to, had to be involved in that. But at the same time, that's somewhat of a barrier to further electrification, right? It's, it's, it's a very difficult process where some of the smaller companies who don't have the time, effort, or resources aren't going to go through that lengthy process. And it is a lengthy and cumbersome process. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a good point. And, and I think one of the issues, even from my perspective, when we've been engaging with stakeholders, and you know, primarily stakeholders or you know, the government agencies that you normally think about, you know, in our case, EPA, but also you know, when I'm around in you know, at state association shows and 
we're talking with either Department of Ed or or the uh, you know whatever the Environmental uh, Protection Agency is in the state. What we found is that we have to do a lot of educating of you know the the policymakers, especially the unelected policymakers. You know, who serve in you know either a cabinet role or state you know role that there's just been so much education about the basics of uh operations of a school bus um even even to the extent of talking to them about the differences between you know in district run operations versus you know private privately contracted operations you know even getting down to that and this uh, you know a little bit unawareness that 40% you know of the nation is you know, transported their scooters and are transported by private, you know, contractors, you know, even going down to that kind of granular, you know, level. So I'm sure you've almost found the same thing, you know, as you approach it. And I also look at it before you answer that as I guess student transportation has been so successful in bringing kids to and from school each day that folks really didn't have to take a whole lot of time to find out and take a peek behind the curtain and see how many moving parts there are that, you know, accomplishes this each and every day. So, so don't you feel like it's Groundhog's Day? Don't you feel <laughs> like the, the last all the time. Years, don't, <laughs> don't you feel like the last two years, our entire jobs have been educating the public on what we do and how important and how we're seen as an essential business too. I mean, before we had to talk about and, and ex- explain and educate these people on, on electrification, we had to explain to them how the school bus industry is in a faucet you shut on and off during COVID. So yeah, for right. the last three years of our lives, we've, we've had to explain the industry. And I, and I completely agree with the statement you just made. The, the school bus industry is just second nature. I have a joke here that it's an it, it just happens industry. So what's an it just happens industry? It's an industry that just is a part of your everyday life. You have absolutely, you know nothing about, but it just happens. Like, do you know how your mail gets there, you know, all the steps that it goes through. No, it just happens. It's, and to me, that means it's such a well-oiled machine that you don't question it. But because you don't question it, it's, there's bad policy surrounding it. And when, I, when there's bad policy, and I don't mean that it's, it's, it's malicious or it's intentful, what I mean is that they're just not educated or informed enough to create the, the, the right steps to get this where it needs to get to. So a lot of my job has been educating these policymakers and these legislators on, on why the grants don't work or why there needs to be more funding or why we need to, you know, not reinvent the wheel, but we need to streamline the efficiency. And, you know, they're surprised. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now, you know, look, it's, I'm not a scientist. I, I believe in the science. It's more environmentally friendly. It's where this nation is going. So we understand that and nobody's fighting that, but it's oftentimes seen where we're, we're not pushing back where we were when we are pushing on new policy or enhanced policy. It seems like we're being combative, which isn't the case whatsoever. So you have, it's a very delicate line where you have to, you know, educate these people and say, this isn't the correct way of getting this done. We need to see this, this, and this, you know, without upsetting them because the policy's there already. In New York state, we have to go electric by 2035. And by 2027, I can only buy brand new electric vehicles. Now, 2027 is five years away. I don't know about you, but I never anticipated 
the cost of my assets going up 350% in five years. Yeah. That's, that's as simple as I, that is as simple as I could put it. And when I tell edu- when I tell policymakers and I tell elected officials this, and they hear that New York state is 65% privately contracted and they hear that New York city is 90% privately contracted, their jaws drop. So I guess for the next five years, I'm going to be educating more, but yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so much great information. That's why we're really looking forward to the, you know, the program in Niagara Falls and Corey, you gave us a lot of great information. I can't let you go before I ask you our regular Yankees question. And, you know, I think the last time you were on, we, we laughed about it. And I, I think my question to you was who was going to be catcher for the New York Yankees next year. And you said anybody but Gary Sanchez. And we held our breath through spring training. And then ultimately, uh, you know, you were right. It was somebody other than, than Gary Sanchez. But, you know, with the way things are going in the Bronx these days, is there something that Corey Muirhead, if, if you were to play Brian Cashman, would, would add you know, to the team before the trade deadline? Oh, that's a great question. Man, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're on like a 118-game win pace right now. I mean, I, I, I don't want to jinx it, but I, I finally feel like it's coming together and this is it. And I don't care about the Dodgers. I don't care about the Braves. I don't care about the Astros coming up our tail. Like, this is it. This team is firing, firing on all cylinders. I mean, you know, we've, we've spoken offline, too, about the pitching and how we were nervous. Look at, all, look, at, look at the top five pitchers they have with ERAs below three. I mean, you can't ask for anything more. But I guess Cashman's going to be around there. He may look for another outfielder, just God forbid, for injuries and stuff like that, and staff up there. So, you know, that would, I guess, that would be something I would, I would say. Yeah. I'm going to throw the name out there for you, Corey. Andrew Benatendi. That's where I would be looking. I mean, I would love that. Would there, would there be anything better than getting your red, uh, 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 old Red Sox to win a World Series at the Yankees? Yeah. Who, who doesn't love that? Yeah, ex-Red Sox. Uh, all good. Well, anyway, Corey, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to, to talk about the electrification of the school bus fleet. So looking forward to to this panel and obviously some more discussion on this very, very important topic. But once again, our guest at NSDA, the bus stop, Corey Muirhead, Executive Vice President, Logan Bus out of New York City. Corey, thanks so much for joining us at NSDA, the bus stop. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm really excited for the panel and I'm I'm really excited for the the Q&A slash the, the audience participation because... I'm a student of the of the game, and I can't wait to hear everybody else's thoughts or experiences with electrification. I think it's going to be a really, really good working session.